and welcome to Three from the Seven, Relics' weekly news podcast. This week, we're coming with a special format. My usual co-host, Karina Reichman, is out on the road rocking with Mr. Marco Benevento. So this week, I am joined by Mr. Jonathan Healy, who currently serves as the VP of Marketing for Dayglow Presents, as well as the video director for Dead & Company. Jonathan. Raph. Healy, as I usually call you. How are you? I'm great. Big shoes to fill today. Yeah, Karina's out there rocking. She's out there with Marco. Yeah, rocking stage left, I believe. Holding down the bass. Absolutely. It's good to be here. My first podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Are you nervous? A little bit. We'll get through this together. Till we hold my hand? If, if, I don't know if we could hold hands the whole time. <laughs> I don't know if that's HR policy. I'll give, we uh, work yeah. at the same That's company. true. We both we technically are under the Shapiro uh, umbrella. I'll give you a fist bump, though. That works. We're fist Boom. bumping out here. So your resume is a mile long, so uh, it's difficult to know where to start. So in your own words, you know, what do you, what do, you do for a living? So what do I do for a living? Uh, it's twofold. Really, I run marketing at Dayglo Presents, which in- encompasses Brooklyn Bowl, the Capitol Theater, Garcia's Lock-In, Relics Magazine. And under that umbrella, it's really social media, promoting shows, outbound newsletters, website. And then in my alter life, I'm a video director at those venues as well, as well as Dead & Company. Awesome. So obviously working for something like Dead & Company is unreal. Um, you have a bit of a background in the dead scene. So can you tell me a little bit about your roots as a, a young little deadhead back in the day? You're from the Northeast, uh, popping the Northeast, around. Uh, uh, born in Atlanta, raised in Connecticut. This guy, Steve Russell, took me to my first dead show in 92 at Nassau Coliseum, where we will be in a week. And uh, it'll, become, it'll be cool to go full circle on that. But uh, was really introduced to the dead and, and fish at the same time. I was going to boarding school in Southfield, Connecticut. Uh, there was another guy up there, Brian Powers from Cape Cod, who was uh, very much into fish. And uh, it was a complete game changer. Uh, I, went, I left public school listening to hip hop, Easy e NWA, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, things changed. And then I got up to boarding school and was introduced to this whole other culture of different type of music. And what's fascinating about going, in, going from the hip hop thing to the jam band thing was hip hop was a great education in music. You know, all the samples that were used of all, I mean, you can find Steely Dan, you can find all kinds of great classic rock stuff. So it was almost like I did it backwards. So I had this hip hop experience and knew these melodies and knew these. Uh, you know, samples really is what they were, and then rediscovered them in their real song track later at boarding schools. So, when did your passion for music and you you were a video guy even before there were really before everyone had a video player on their phone or a camera on their phone? You know, you were a video guy. So, when did you segue from the music fan who likes video to the guy who works in video and music? So, uh, had this thing at boarding school that was. That was going on. Went to college. wasn't uh, wasn't the greatest student in the town. Hopped around. I ended up at Arizona State, and I was going to this. I was in this program, the Walter Cronkite School of Broadcast Business Management. At that time, I'm in my early 20s, and I'm heavily into Fish, Mo, all the jam bands, String Cheese, Incident, you name it. And I had this passion for video as well. And so I went to college for that. But I really went to college for the business side of it. So I was taking classes in sales, promotions, you know, it was the kind of curriculum where one might end up at an NBC affiliate in Colorado Springs, but that didn't happen to me. So I spent too much time on fish store. So, so what really happened was I ended up moving to New York. I got this great job. Lauren Michaels at the time had a college entertainment network called Burley Bear Network, and it was based on 54th Street. 
And what we used to do was we used to bicycle VHS tapes to 600 colleges and universities across the country. And some kid at you know the AV club would put this VHS tape in on a Monday morning and just repeat it. And if you were at one of these schools, you had a channel in your dorm room and you could watch all this irreverent programming. It was music-based, comedy, short film. Uh, stuff, you know, really what college humor is today and then what Barstool Sports has kind of bastardized. <laughs> As a, you know, grown a third arm on. Yeah, exactly. Great. Um, it's a safe way of putting it. So uh, so here's what happened. So I was, I was there. I was working in marketing. I actually came in on sales. I was working in marketing. I wanted to break through and get into production. I wanted to be a TV producer. So uh, I borrowed some equipment from the tech room and I called this guy, Pete Shapiro, and I said, I got this TV show and I, I didn't really have a TV show, but company was like, yeah, we'll let you go out there, whatever. So uh, I said, you got this guy, Tom Marshall, coming to the club and we want to come down with the crew and we want to film it, we want to do some interviews, we want to shoot the band, just put together a package and that springboarded the whole thing. So I was already familiar with the wetlands at the time. I already knew Charlie and Jake Sofranowski, so everyone was really welcoming and supportive of the whole idea of me coming down. It was the very first thing we did, and you know, so was Tom Marshall, and Scott Metzger was in that band at the time, too, and we went down there, and that's what we did. So uh, that changed everything. So then we came back, and at the time, the internet wasn't what it was now. So what it was then was these websites really weren't pushing out a lot of video content. It really was a promotional tool, driving people to watch stuff on television, and we were... We were a little too early on the curve on that. We didn't, we didn't, uh, it, it wasn't successful in the end because we were a little too early. The internet wasn't as developed for what it was, but it started to get a lot of traffic. So at that point, uh, I got a taste for what it was like and then made the full-time switch. From there, what happened was, I end, they couldn't give me a job as a TV producer. I was too green. So they sent me on the road as a tour manager for a touring comedy show, which featured sort of, B-level or entry-level talent from Saturday Night Live. So we'd go out with Jay Moore and Janine Garofalo, and we'd go to college auditoriums, fraternity basements, you name it, and we'd put on these comedy shows. So we traveled the country in a 15-passenger van, and um, my job was to produce it, but we had so much support, ended up filming all the shows. So we would film all the shows and then bring those back to Burley Bear, and then that became a short television show. As that well. must have been a wild experience being out on the road with comedians, and it's that's like they say musicians want to be comedians and comedians want to be musicians, and there's a definitely a similar atmosphere, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, so basically, it, you know, for this audience, I'll share the story. It's really funny. So what would happen was we'd book the tours, and at the time, I think, I think Trey Anastasio band was a new thing, or. Oyster had one of his offshoots, and so we used to book it around the tour, so basically I would have something to do after my gig, so we'd go to these things, so at the time, I was a lot younger, a little more enthusiastic, so I would, you know, sort of like ditch the gig I was paid for a little early, break out, go to the other show, and then come back, and, you know, be a little fired up from the show I just saw, and then would come back and, you know, talk about the show in a in a in a language that they really didn't understand, you know. Oh, that that set was great on paper, <laughs> you know. Um, oh yeah. Well, we didn't say kill it back then. Did but they say was, type two back then? Like they didn't type two that jam. The comedians were not saying type two. <laughs> Janine Garofalo wasn't like, oh, they totally ripcorded that yam, man. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> anyway, these comedy these comedy people would would then work this material in into their bits. So we'd be driving to the next gig and they would basically just poke fun at me at the whole ride, but what they were really doing was testing out new material. 
So there was an era for a lot of these comedians where they're basically just impersonating me coming home from a Trey Anastasio band show. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's so funny. So now jumping ahead, yeah. you having all this experience in video before the internet was even really a video platform, you kind of saw the rise of what we call couch tour now. And now you're overseeing, you oversaw fairly well. Totally. You- I remember reaching out to Brad Serling in the 90s when, uh, you know, when Nugs was in its infancy and he, you know, he was just getting started in the live stream thing. And shout out to him because that guy is the godfather of couch tour. I mean, he's, he's been at it from day one. But, uh, you know, to us back then, streaming was first. You know, it was evolving from tape trading to being able to stream the show from the other night. And that was next level. You know, we didn't have that. And it was all, I'm talking audio only. And then that further evolved into video. So talking about seeing the evolution, I saw the whole thing. The other thing that was interesting to see, too, was being a a jam band fan in the very early 90s is watching that culture evolve with it. And, you know... You can go back to, you know, first generation jam bands, Grateful Dead, tape trading. And then, you know, generation two was Fish, which eventually led to streaming. So as I mentioned before, you oversaw Fairly Well, which is obviously now considered one of the highest grossing, if not the highest grossing music pay-per-view ever. So to see numbers like that on paper must have been unreal. Can you take me back to kind of Fairly Well and what that whole scene was? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to work on that. I, you know, Pete and I produced the live stream. Pete produced the whole event, but we also produced the live stream together. It was a great project. Uh, you know, Fairly Well grossed over $50 million, was one of the greatest events of all time. But it was, it still holds the record for the largest music pay-per-view event of all time. There were over 400,000 units sold. So, you know, in the media business, print specifically, they have this term called pass along, which, you know, you go to the dentist's office, there's a Time Magazine there. How many people really read that Time Magazine? Maybe two, three, up to 10. So we don't really know what the pass along was of the pay-per-view, but I would imagine a lot of people couch toured, a lot of parties were had that 4th of July. I couch toured. I had people over. I watched every night of it. So how many people did you have over? It was me and my brother for every night, plus on like the... I think maybe like the 4th of July show. They did a 4th of July so show, So pass right? along of two or three. So. Yeah, so, but plus like four or five of my buddies coming in in the middle of the show. Also, the, paper, uh, the pay-per-view giving the opportunity to rock, watch maybe the day after or yeah. an hour later because like the California shows went late, things like that. It's pretty unreal. Yeah, so that 400,000 number on the safe side is a million. So those are real numbers. Those are real television numbers. So uh, yeah, I was, it, was a, it was an amazing event to watch Pete put together. To, and also to bring the surviving members of the Grateful Dead together with Trey, OTL Jeff, and Bruce, and just really, you know, ha- have this grand farewell for the band. And then another Shapiro venture that you were heavily involved in was the, the Capitol Theater and helping kind of put that up. And you currently, uh, whenever there's a big stream at the Cap, you're in your, uh, I don't even know what to call it, your like bullpen or your like, you know, command center, where I don't think people understand the mothership. The mothership. Is it, is it Hampton Coliseum out here? Or as my friend Damon Sharkey would call the Death Star. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, people, I don't think people understand exactly what goes into uh, kind of overseeing a live stream like that. Because as okay. bands are playing on stage, you'll, you're simultaneously hitting, like, okay, camera one, camera two. Like, you're doing your own performance yeah, so, there. So, the Capitol Theater's you know, video room is the crown jewel of sort of Diglo Presents. It's, it's a really phenomenal system. There's 10 cameras there, some of them are robotic. Some of them are what we call static lipstick. Just imagine a GoPro that's fixed on a shot like a drum or keys. Uh, We have Dave Brown, who's a great camera guy. And yeah, you're up there and you're looking at all 10 cameras at the same time. And you've got your camera op 
down in the photo pit who you're communicating with, also guiding. And, you know, at this point, Dave just really mind reads what I want. So he's so great. I don't have to tell him to do anything. But uh, and then you're yeah, you're making the calls. You're sitting there picking which camera you want up at what time. And, you know, my approach to that is to try to be just a, a translator of no, translator is not the right word. Being a conduit for the dialogue that the musicians are having. So, you know, different directors have different approaches, but there's a musical conversation happening, and I want to ensure that the people at home are receiving that message, whatever that is. So that really just kind of requires following what's happening, who's communicating to who, you know, is... Are Joe Joe and Marco having a little side conversation while... Tommy's doing something else, those kind of things. So it's a real privilege to be able to sit in that chair and do that. And it's definitely the best seat in the house because you're seeing everything at the same time. There's a weird phenomenon that happens sometimes when I go back and watch it because you'll watch the live stream after the show and you don't remember the shots you picked because you were looking at all 10 at the same time. So, But the cap is great. It's, uh, it's, it's just a beautiful venue. It has... The I think the best video system in any venue in America right now that's not brought in, a fixed video system. It that's is high phenomenal. praise. God bless Tom Bailey and Pete Shapiro. So when jam musicians or musicians in general, the, the good ones, talk about when they're on stage and they really hit that point, they call it being in a flow state. Do you find yourself being in a flow state where when you're doing video and calling yeah, shots? Yeah, I think Santana called it the golden hose as well. So it's that same thing. You're just, you are just there as, I used the word conduit before, you are just a carrier of what's happening. So in no way am I really producing any of that magic. I really am just delivering it from a different point of view. So yeah, the band is in that, the band is in that flow state and you get in it too. It's, you know, uh, I'm probably dating myself by saying this, but the old Volkswagen ads where you have Farfrig Nugent, you just kind of forget what's going on around you and you're just doing it. Shit is dripping down your leg. And, uh, (laughs) and then, you know, you're just having a really good cut. Do you ever find yourself getting nervous before a stream or are you just cool as a cucumber these days? The big ones. So, so an example, you did the stream for oh Mayor Dead, and, Dead, and Company, Dead and Company City Shoreline, Field. First, first show of the summer tour this year. Uh, first time on the job. Uh, really familiar with a lot of the players. You know, I, Derek Featherstone and Chris Reagan uh, are, are people I've worked with through my entire career, and they were big champions of me, and I really appreciate that. Uh, so I was, you know, I was comfortable with the guys that hired me, but there's a lot of players involved. There's you know, there's different vend. You know, there's different vendors. There's, there's. It's just a different crew. You're not there. They don't know you. You don't know them. Um, there were, you know. So it just it, it it built up. I was pretty nervous. I'll just be honest. I was really nervous. And then here's what happened. I was sitting there in video in Video Village, and John Mayer rolls by, and he just kind of like looked at us and snapped his fingers a little bit, and he's like, "It's gonna be cool, baby." And that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> I just kind of like it's gonna be it cool. Is. It's baby. gonna be cool, and and so I was like, I've done this a million times, and as soon as they hit, it was that's what happened. As soon as they hit, I just went into my regular routine, and it all kind of went away, and I, you know, it felt great after that. And I think Dead and Company also allows you to do really cool shot. I mean, I don't think people realize you're the one who's ar- the architect of that. I, someone called it the caterpillar, where it's Mayor on stage, and it's kind of like that multi reflect where right. kind of so, they'll angle the camera a certain way and you'll see a trail of John Mayer's behind him in the screen behind. That's right. So uh, just to give context to that for the people who are listening, so at Dead & Company, 
we're doing sort of four things at once. There's three screens that, if you're at the show, you see the three screens. There's one on the upstage center. It's a big LED wall. And then at most venues, there'll be LED walls uh, stage left and stage right. So we have independent control of those. We can kind of show different. We can put Bobby on the right screen, John on the left screen, or show different action at different times. And Jonathan Singer's doing psychedelic content and all of that, too. What you're talking about is on the upstage LED wall, which is a is really Jonathan Singer doing his thing. But uh, Chris Reagan will choose some songs during the set. Well, the uh, the two of us will combine forces and do video and psychedelic stuff. So when we do that, sometimes uh, we will, like you described, point the camera at John Mayer, and that's Rusty Reed down in the doing the, the photo pit camera. Rusty will do this upshot of Mayer, which basically because of the slight video delay to the upstage LED wall, puts a repetitive pattern of John Mayer behind him. So you see the real John Mayer, and then you know off-center to the viewer's left, he's, it's another repeated, and that's a little bit behind, and then the next one's a little bit behind, and the next one's a little behind. So uh, I didn't, it's called video feedback. I didn't invent it, and uh, quite frankly, the guy in my seat with Dead & Co. was doing it before. But I think what happened at City Field that everybody got fired up about was... Uh, every, Traditionally on that tour, there's the John Mayer centipede, which mm-hmm. is really him sort of in a line and it waves and the viewers at home can't see my hand right now, but it's, it's undulating up and down. Uh, but what we discovered was if you rotate the camera clockwise, you rotate the lens, he starts to spin and create this mandala effect. And we sort of accidentally discovered that in the middle of Fire in the Mountain at City Field. With John playing Jerry's guitar. Playing Wolf, right. So, it, you know, it's like uh, the perfect storm of events. And then Jonathan Singer is dialing up the, you know, he's dialing up the aperture and just enhancing it just a little bit more. And you have this experience once in a while as a video director is sometimes there'll be a giant roar and it's to the screens. And that was one of those moments where it was going on and on. And then you just heard City Field erupt. And then it was funny, like, my phone started blowing up. People were like, we know what you're doing, this, whatever. But it's a really, a really a big team effort to make that happen. But it was a, it was a funny event. And then um, it's hard to repeat. We tried, you know, we tried in soundcheck to, to master it. And it's, it, it really does require a lot of the right things happening at the right time. I don't think we repeated it as successfully as we did at City Field. But you know, fall fun run. We'll see what happens. Yeah, let's do it up. Yeah, get your tickets, fam. As far as without breaking the Dead & Company code of conduct or uh, code of secrecy, can you give people a window on kind of what your day-to-day is like when you're on Dead & Company tour? I mean, are you walking around and high-fiving Bobby when he's doing his workouts or what? No, I just get screamed at it by everybody. <laughs> <laughs> With good reason, though? Or- yeah. Uh, no, the day-to-day is, uh, you know, crew loads in early. Everything, everything rolls into the venue, and then everything's assembled. It goes up, it, it gets rolled in, and it goes up in a particular order. Um, you know, some, you know, it's usually sound, lights, videos usually last, uh, and and everything gets wired basically. And then uh, in the video business, we call it faxing the cameras. Once everything's wired, you you kind of do your sound check. It's just not called sound check. It's called faxing, but there's no fax machine involved. What are those moments that your inner deadhead is screaming and can't believe that you ha- you're so lucky to have this job? I mean, you've, you've played one of Jerry's guitars before. You've, what, what, are, what are the moments in your many jobs that you've kind of been like, wow, pinch me right now? Yeah, it's just, it's always like that. It's just, you're really blessed and honored to be in the position because I don't, you know, I think it's, I think it's a unique one. It'd be interesting. You know, I do it all the time. It, it's, uh, I, I'm 
somewhat molded for this particular genre and to work in this genre. And it's different when you go outside of it, but it's, uh, it's a blessing. I feel the exact same way. It, it's, inc- it's not we're incredibly lucky. We're incredibly lucky. It really is. Cause the thing is people always ask me like, Oh, you have to go to so many shows for work, this and that. And I'm just like, I'd be at these shows anyway. Like I would be seeing exactly 10 fish shows so a I, year. I'll, t- like, I'll tell you something. I've had the last three weekends off from working shows, which I don't think has happened in five years, that many weekends in a row. And I've been utterly bored. I, I, I actually started just going back to the cap, even though I wasn't working just because I wanted to see shows and be there anyway. So what's uh what's the bucket list for Jonathan Healy? Like as far as you know, the, the sky's the limit. What what else do you want to accomplish in your career? Well, I want you know I want to open these these new venues, and I don't want to go too much into detail about what we're working on because some of that's veiled in secrecy. But we have some new things on the horizon, which I'm really psyched about, and I know that's the other part of my job. So you know, building this network of music venues, and in in addition to building a network of music venues, building a network of additional video hubs. I mean, all of our rooms are equipped with video. So, you know, somehow tying that all together, you know, we, we're starting with the Relics channel and that ties all our venues in online through live streaming. Relics.com slash live, tune in. Thank you. Uh, and then in terms of video, I mean, you know, I don't know how long the, you know, I, I got a day job. This Dead & Co thing is, uh, you know, is, uh, is great. And uh, I, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to try something else like the Rolling Stones. They had four, they had four LED walls on that tour and they weren't using them independently. Uh, I thought it would have been cool if they, you know, had done that. Um, I, you know, doing other band, big, bigger bands could be on the horizon. Is that, I, is that a jo- fact? You know what, Raph? That was a horrible answer. This job is so good. I don't need anything on the horizon. <laughs> I just go with the flow every day. The right manager there. for the Rolling Stones was just lifting his phone yeah, and, and just put it down. And he, he just, just put it look. down. He's like, oh, Healy's content, so I'm just not going to hire him I got now. a random solicitation today from Audible. Some guy called my cell phone. Like the book company? Like yeah, they read the, books in your ears? Amazon. <laughs> they read books in your ears. <laughs> well, I, I've been reading, I've been listening to books on Audible, and they called me today. And they were like, hey, would you like a job at Audible? I literally said no thanks and just hung up the phone. Didn't even hear the <laughs> offer. <laughs> Ice the cold. That happened like four hours ago. That's wild. It's crazy. That's also some weird algorithm at work where they're like, they're taking your name and running it through the LinkedIn yeah. algorithm and being like, oh, was. he does this, that, and the other thing. And yes, you could have been the CEO of Audible. I know. Don't even I hung know. up the phone. I was like, that was really stupid. I should have heard the offer. <laughs> you should have heard him out. That's job is. That's true. We're living the dream, Healy. <laughs> On the horizon, we're not going to give away too much, but you also oversee the live streams at Lock-In, which is a whole other deal. Oh, yeah. Which is a, truly a 24-hour job. That's a big one. Uh, you know, that one does a huge amount of viewership. I mean, people all over the country watch that every year at the end of the summer. There were nearly riots this year because we announced it, like, day of, and people were, har- like, when I say harassing the Relics Facebook, like... Can I tell you a story? So, we, you know, part of my job with marketing is managing customer service via social media and... You know, we had a major weather event at the beginning of ingress, and that means when people are allowed to come to the concert field. So I think the timing of that was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Thursday, and right at 4 o'clock, the storm rolled over the hills, and it was borderline like the microburst of three, four years ago. It was unreal. It was really bad. And uh, I think there were... And so let me flash back to the microburst. There's a lot of customer service. You're displacing people. You're telling people to go to Walmart parking lots, all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of work. So this year... And the storm wasn't that bad, but there were probably two customer service issues of, you know, someone's car got stuck, but no complaining. 
However, there were hundreds of customer service email requesting, where's the live? Are we doing the live stream? Are we doing the live stream? We hadn't announced it. We hadn't gone. That was a crazy thing to say. Yeah, I remember even just me kind of monitoring Relic Socials. It was a minute by minute like announcement. And then the addition of the monkey wrench of that storm blowing through, that whole Thursday of lock-in was unreal from the, the Relics and slash Dayglow lock-in perspective. But then look what it manifested into. It manifested One of the most into- magical weekends of the summer. Not only, yeah, one of the most magical weekends, starting with Krungbin featuring Trey Anastasio, which was great, just coming out hot, and then and then the live stream started, and the show started, and then it just took off from there. It's a uh, it's a fun way to end the summer. It's fun, you know. It reminds me when I was a kid, the Dead did that on PBS. They would do mm-hmm. a fundraiser. I think they would do it twice a year, but and I believe there was one attached to the summer, but. That's what it. That's what I think about when we're doing this because that doesn't happen anymore, and people are online anyway, and they're not watching this stuff on PBS. But it is that sort of like you know big jam band event that's televised at the end, and anyone who's a fan feels super special, and that you know it's broadcasted to their home, and they have these huge parties, and they set up screens outside, and it's just awesome to to give people that experience. Absolutely. Uh, the last thing I'll ask is on, on a, a given lock-in weekend, how many hours of sleep do you get? Anywhere from two to three hours a night. Unreal. Jonathan Healy, hours. the unsung hero of the jam community. Oh, thanks, Raph. Catch him on Dead & Co. Fall <laughs> Fun Run. If you're looking up at a screen, that's what he's doing. Or if you're doing the live stream. That's what you're doing. Thank you so much, Healy. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. This is my first it. podcast. I know. You made it. We made it to the finish line. How do you feel? I feel good. Like I want to do. You want to do another one? Yeah, dude, absolutely. I'm, anytime, <laughs> anytime. Karina's uh, Karina's worried about her job now. Yeah, big shout out to Karina who really just let me be here, and um, I'm a huge fan of hers. I love listening to her on the show. I love watching her grow as a musician. And right back at you, I love watching you grow in this company. I love reading all the articles you write. I hope I work with you for a very long time. Right back at you, Healy. Have a wonderful day, you too. everybody. Tune in next week. Karina will be back. We'll be back to our usual format, but I hope you enjoyed this little chat with uh, John Healy. Later, everyone.